One guy's got a gun in his hand, shooting, and the other guy's got a knife, and he's stabbing the other guy. So I jump out of my car. I hate when that shit happens at a light. <laughs> it never happened to me once. <laughs> a guy's shooting, another guy's stabbing. I hate that shit. I jump out, I disarm the guy with the gun and the knife. One falls on the floor dead. You couldn't pay these guys to do this, Phil, perfectly, <laughs> if you were with a girl. <laughs> so the guy falls on the floor. He's dead. The other guy's dying. So we go to the hospital. We go to Metropolitan Hospital's right there. And she's still with you. She's still with me, but she ain't my she's girlfriend. <laughs> That's the point. Hey, what's up, everybody? Here we are once again in Osning, New York, the palatial estates for uh, the home of my partner in crime, my partner in law enforcement, Bill Cannon. What's up, Bill? Yo, what's going on? Uh, everything's good, man. This is a very, very exciting day. I feel uh, like I'm meeting Babe Ruth. You know? <laughs> yeah? I really do. He's like, he's a Hall of Famer, this guy. Yeah, know? he's definitely uh, the GOAT, one you know? of the GOATs. Yeah. The greatest that's ever done it. Um, greatest of all time, they said. I mean, GOAT used to be a derogative term. Now it became the... The best, well, in the, greatest in the of age all time. of acronyms, yeah. <laughs> the GOAT and uh, AOC and all these things. Well, we should you tell our audience who we're talking well, about. Well, before we do that, um, I just wanted to say, uh, here we are. We uh, got Andrew Steiner. He's our engineer. And like I said, today's a very special episode. Uh, but before we start, um, I know we wanted to do something, Bill, uh, in regards to this show. Yeah, we wanted to dedicate this to uh, a member of the service who was killed uh, this week. Detective Brian Simonson from the 102 squad. And uh, to let our audience know the real risks that law enforcement takes each and every day to protect all of us. And we salute him and uh, God bless his family. All right. So uh, this week, our guest uh, probably was in a lot of situations, uh, many more than we can count, just like um, life-threatening situations on a daily basis because he was a very, very active police officer uh, with the NYPD. Um, in the meantime, during his career, he's known uh, as the most decorated NYPD detective in history, over 2,000 arrests, over 100 off-duty collars. That means you're not working. He was pretty busy. <laughs> you're not working. You're out on a date <laughs> with your brother. <laughs> somehow, we got girls in the car. Shit. Somehow, you see somebody getting, getting ready to do uh, a, a robbery of a bodega. And uh, I'm going to introduce him right now so he can talk about all those things and many more. Uh, many more. Uh, Ralph Friedman, folks. Hi. Thank you for having me here. It's, a, it's an honor. I don't know if we're My worthy. Honor. My honor. <laughs> so um, how many years now has it been since you've retired? I got out uh, January of 1984, officially. I was injured before that. I was in the hospital for quite a while. But I'm out uh, 35 years. And the injury was a line of duty injury? Yeah, line of duty injury. I was responding to a 1013 uh, that an officer was calling, not an unfounded one. Wound up, the officer had to leave his 13 to assist me. We were in a bad accident where uh, I was in an unmarked car, and I got hit by a uh, blue and white, responding to the same 13. And uh, we, were heading, uh, we were heading west, and we were going to turn south at uh, a certain corner, and the radio car was from, coming from the north, heading south. And when, before we could turn, they T-boned it right on my side. And how bad were you hurt? Everybody was injured in the accident, but they were all treated and released. Uh, I wound up staying in the hospital for a couple of months. And my injuries at the moment, at that time, was uh, I fractured my hip in 100 pieces. 
I broke my my pelvic left, right, upper and lower, and I broke all my ribs. The other offices, there was a female in the other car with a rookie driver, and they got out in about 12 hours. They lost some teeth, cut their knee, broke their arm. My partner, Timmy Kennedy, one of my best partners, he was driving at the time, not that it was his fault, uh, but he, he had a lot of injuries also, but he got out the same day also. So you got three quarters. Yeah. At the end of it, you got three quarters. Yes. After completing how many years? I did 14 years. 14 years. And in those 14 years... Well, I was pretty busy in those 14 You know, you mentioned something like about Babe Ruth, right? Right. And it's like a lot of careers get sh- cut short. You don't even... Can you just imagine? Can you just imagine if he would... That's another well, six Ra- years Ralph to go. Ralph has the combat cross, which is... I think there's less than a couple of hundred people in the history of New York City Police Department that have the combat cross... And just the the name of that award uh, gives visions of you know combat, right? I think I read. I read. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Right? Ralph's book, um, Street Warrior, is a great book. I picked it up this week, and uh, I got uh, halfway through it. I'm a slow reader, but <laughs> but <laughs> well, you became a cop. <laughs> <laughs> but I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I, I think I got to the combat cross story. Um, was that uh, the, was that the one where your uh, partner gets shot in the uh, in the apartment? Cal? No, no, that wasn't. Uh, I felt I should have got the combat. They gave him that, an e- they gave him an EPD for that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, we got honorable mentions and we got awards outside the department for that. Uh, the combat cross story. Uh, I was working with a partner, Bobby Demattis. We were on anti crime patrol in the forty first precinct, which is known as Fort Apache in the South Bronx, and. Uh, we were just doing patrol, and it's, uh, it was an ironic story, actually, because we were following a group of kids that we thought were going to be the perpetrators of a crime. They were, it was late at night, and they were approaching people and demanding. Well, it was on the cusp of demanding where it was going to be like an intimidation robbery. Asking for and money. And we figured that's what, what it was going to lead to. Asking for people, people in the street for money. Right, and then they approached this one guy, and some words were exchanged, which we found out they called them cheap and... Uh, went back and forth, and then the guy pulled out a gun and shot them. <laughs> he shot a 15-year-old that we thought was going to be the perp who wound up being the victim, and he shot him square in the chest right in front of us. Oh. You know, we were sitting uh, like four lanes of traffic over an intersection in an unmarked uh, taxi cab when they first started using uh, yellow cabs as undercover cars. Yeah. And my, I was in the back as a passenger, and my partner was driving, and uh, we rolled up on this. As soon as they shot the kid, he floored it. When we went right across the intersection, jumped out of the car, and the guy started firing at us right away. I was closest to him, and I chased him straight up the block with a running gun battle. And my partner, Bobby DeMattis, flanked out to the left and went up the other side of the street. So we tried to triangulate him, triangulate him into a, a spot, and then he stopped. And uh, my partner hasn't fired yet and took cover behind the car. And I took cover behind like a steps protruding out of a tenement where none of my body was exposed, but he could see my head. And I was just, I emptied the first gun. I pulled the second gun. And meanwhile, this guy was... The first gun is uh, they were both, five I, shot? No, they, I carried two six-shot Colts. A Colt uh, the, detective the, special, that was a great right. gun, right? Yeah. Those were six shots, and that's why I carried them. The Colt was six, and the S&Ws were five. 
I don't know why. And the cylinder went counterclockwise. Smith and Wesson. Right? I'm not sure on that one. I just know it goes around. And I just want to hear You it know is. that it worked. Didn't have I want to know it worked. You didn't have the speed loader yet, though. No. Right? That was no. the speed loader wasn't invented yet. But right? this guy was firing at us one shot at each of us. He was actually alternating the shots. You know, he had the presence of mind to do that. And he also reloaded two times. Wow. He had my partner was pinned, couldn't get a shot off. And meanwhile, I'm still shooting it out with the guy. I went to a second gun. And I'm lining up my shots and taking my time at the, once I had cover. And, it, I, you know, it had no effect on him. I thought I was missing. And I couldn't understand how I was. Finally, after he reloads his, second, his third time, he emptied his gun and reloaded twice. So he's carrying extra ammo on yeah, him. Yeah, a lot of wow. extra ammo. Finally, he pops up where my partner had a shot at him. And my partner fires one round, hits him in the shoulder, and he falls down because we saw him grab the shoulder and go down. And I ran up to him, and he still was going to have the presence of mind to raise the gun while I was standing over him. And I put one right between his eyes, you know, when he was on the ground. <laughs> That'll do and it. That did it. When they got to pick him up, his skull opened up. Was he back. wearing a vest? His brain fell out. Was he wearing no, a bulletproof I vest? I actually hit him like uh, nine times in the stomach. And it didn't take effect. He was high on drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And the one bullet my was like the that my partner fired was like the straw that broke the. That must have back. been some strong uh, some strong Bronx Coronas he was drinking. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, kidding. So uh, you know what? Um, so you got the combat cross from that, right? But I wanted uh, let's can we just take it back uh, to the because the luck of the draw, getting the four one right out of the gate. So you gra what year did you graduate from the police academy? 1970. And that's important because that was a that was a different time back then. Oh, the whole, people, the whole world was different. People don't understand. Like, for, for one thing that I found really interesting in your book was that you mentioned uh, once in a while on patrol, you used to take your own personal car out. Oh, I, yeah, my car was authorized for 95% uh, of my career. So, so you went and you filled out a piece of paperwork... And for the department, with your plate number and all that stuff, and, and from that point on, you could use... Use your, your car anytime But how, what did you get, reimbursed for gas and stuff? Well, the department gave us gas. We used okay. department pumps in certain precincts. And let's say you got into an accident with the car. What happens? Who well, pays for that? That's a good question. This, was probably, this was probably pre-indemnification, where they even indemnified you if you got sued. Well, they, oh, they identified us, but I, lucky enough, we didn't have an accident with that car. We had other unmarked cars, too. Uh -huh. We were authorized to go to the pound and in Whitestone and just take out cars. I took out cars from there, too, that I used. But that's once you were in um, anti-crime. Well, I'm jumping ahead of it. So you get the 4-1 right out of the gate? That's right out of the academy? Yes. And you stood there the whole time? No, oh. I stood there five years until I... Uh, well, I stood there in uniform for about a year and a half, a little less than a year and a half. Then I went into 4-1 anti-crime. Okay. And I stayed there five, uh, four years. Tell them what, uh, tell our listeners what anti-crime is. They don't understand well, that term. Anti-crime is you work plain clothes. You're not a detective. You're still with a police officer's shield. And you, on a precinct level, you're doing the same as street crime. Uh, you blend into the neighborhood. You use uh, milk trucks, taxi cabs, con ed trucks, put on a helmet and work on a construction site. You're blending into the neighborhood to catch criminals uh, committing a crime in progress. So your conviction rate is high because you're a witness to the crime, which makes it better for the district attorney and for prosecuting the case. So our conviction rates were very high. And in those years, they took pleas a lot of times. 
and uh, you blend in and try to be there. And you're working with uh, officers that are in the precinct house that will pinpoint crime. It was like uh, before Comstat, where bosses had to go down and uh, describe times and occurrences and crime patterns. They pinpointed stuff on maps. And if you saw it was like between 5 and 7 and people are coming home from work from a certain bus stop or train station, we would position ourselves around there because that's where the crime reports, the 61s, were coming in where they were being robbed. So we wanted to put a stop to it, catch these criminals, and be there while they were committing the crime so we could put them away. So you got into anti-crime after four years in the 4-1? No, after a year. After a year? About a year and a quarter. So needless to say, coming right out of the gate, out of the academy, you're fresh, you're young. How old were you? I was 21. 21 years old. You were in good shape because you're working out, right? I was in excellent shape. So you, hit the street, you hit the streets running, right? Yeah. Did you make a, co- I, I did you make a call on your first day? My first two minutes. Tell <laughs> wait a minute, sure. wait a minute. You go to the desk officer and you introduce yourself. Hi, I'm, I'm Ralph Friedman. <laughs> well, they send you, we went to roll call, uh-huh. and they send you out on a foot post, which that's a problem. You got to find it yourself. Uh-huh. You know, we didn't have, like, now they have NSU and field training offices and uh, neighborhood stabilization units and things where you went out with seasoned officers. Back then, they just put you out by yourself on the street. They you know, threw you, you into water. Right, <laughs> Said threw swim you in the water. You got to swim. The first day out of the academy. First day. No, tra- no you know, the, your training was the academy. And then it was your common sense, your wits, and your guts, you know, and you just went out there. Uh-huh. That's how everybody did it. The Bronx must you, have been like Beirut back then in the it 70s. Was, it was. Did you get a locker right away? No, you didn't get a locker. <laughs> you worked out of your car. <laughs> how long did you work? So your whole uniform Months. was in your car? Yeah. You know, oh, you wore shit. your pants in. Uh-huh. You changed your shirt and, and your jacket. And Ralph, also, you were you were a nice Bronx Jewish boy. How did that yeah. go over in the the Irish job in 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 the Fort Apache? Well, you there? know, well, first right off the bat, they saw how I handled myself. You know, and I was uh, pretty good with my hands, and I was in great shape. And uh, you know, people didn't really mess with me. They didn't want to mess with you. Yeah, I, I really, I didn't really have a problem. You know, I gained respect right away. You know, I give respect and I get respect. Right. You know, I didn't go in there like a know-it-all because, believe me, I knew nothing. But isn't it in, in the busier houses, they always take new guys under their wing because they, they look, they the look out for you. It was very tight. Yeah. And exactly. Like, they take you under your wing. Yeah. You know, you got to realize, and they realize, that you're going to be eventually their backup. That's right. You know, and believe me, I had a great career, and I might use the word I a lot in my stories, but I couldn't have done anything without great partners and backup guys from the precinct. You can't do it, you know. It's impossible. It's these guys. There's in the no street. I in team, Ralph. That's right. <laughs> but when, I, when I'm saying this, I'm wanting you to realize that it was the backup and my partners that made everything possible. That's right. That's right. But uh, you get to the 4-1, right? And that was the busiest just... house in the city, probably oh, in the country, to... you know, at the time. I have a, a TV series called Street Justice, and we have actual footage of what that time looked like. And we had to rent that footage for like $3,500 a minute because no one had videos back then except like Columbia Pictures or NBC. It's hard to des- to describe to people that live in New York now, uh, young people, what it was like, what New York City was like back then. Well, I grew up in the Bronx, and the South Bronx was nothing like the North Bronx. You know, I was thrown in, I was in the same borough, no less the same city, but the same borough, and it was a different world. Right. You know, I grew up in an area that was all Italian, Jewish, and Irish. 
now I was put into a black and Spanish neighborhood, and they had a different regard for life at the time. It was, it was a Wild West show. A lot you know, of I gangs? I might have been put on another planet, even though I was in the same borough. It was all gangs, right? There were gangs everywhere. There was criminals. There was drugs and robberies. The big, the big drug then was heroin, though, right? Yeah, I never saw anything but heroin in the South Bronx. I didn't see anything else like Coke or marijuana or pills until I went to the North Bronx. That was when I got promoted to detective in 1975. So you came out, you said, in, uh, you said what year did you come on again? Well, I came on as a trainee in 1968. Oh, I was 68, too young. okay. So I spent two years doing so indoor You got promoted work. in 75. You did the, okay. Well, I made police officer, in, well, it wasn't even police officer back then. You were a patrolman, PTL. Right. Over the years, it became police officers. Okay. But we were patrolmen. And, you know, they only changed the name of the PBA just about a, a month ago. You know, it was always called the Patrolman's Benevolence. Yeah. Right. It was just changed about a month ago to Police Benevolence Association. Oh, wow. It's just and to changed. make it gender neutral, too. But yeah. it was just done about yeah. a month ago. Yeah, it makes sense. True. Yeah. It was just, I was always surprised it wasn't done years ago. Right. But they changed a lot of names on the job. When I came on the job, when you ran into a psycho, they were called a psycho. Then yeah. it became EDP. It was a certain point. They even the changed that, Ralph. It was a mostly it's... disturbed person. Now it's a mostly distressed person. Oh, did they? Yeah. But we, we wanted to make it kinder. The, they even changed the name of the department. We were members of the force. Yeah. yeah. Now it's members of the service. Yeah. You're yeah, an yeah. MOS. They don't, want, we to, used to be they don't want you to be like Star Wars, you know? Yeah. And they, the yeah, force yeah. be with you. <laughs> they wanted to be a, now nicer, tamer. Right. You know, now you got to, instead of protecting ass, you're kissing ass. So the four one you said was the, the busiest precinct in New York City, is the most uh, the highest busy, in homicides, highest, highest in robbers. Highest in everything. I mean, I was a the, rookie. The radio and I was booming, right? I was just gonna say, I'd go in on a Friday or Saturday night. I always did night work, four to twelves, six to twos, you know, four to ones, stuff like that. You'd go on on a Friday or Saturday night. You'd get the the radio call with the light and siren on, and you were backed up twenty high profile <laughs> jobs. Oh shit! It's, I mean, uh, today's cops probably wouldn't even believe that. And about radios, you know too. Uh, I read in your book about... Well, there was no portables. So how did you get in touch with each other? Well, we had a hard wire in the car. Okay. And then you had to use call boxes. See, when you got a foot post, I heard from a few guys... Isn't today, that way to put the whiskey bottle inside that... <laughs> <laughs> the flask. <laughs> you could take a couple of swigs during when your tour. When you turn out a roll call, you have your name there, and then next to your name is a number from 1 to 59. It was still there a few years ago. I don't know if it's still there, but no cop today knew what it was. I uh -huh. talked to officers, and they said, yeah, there's a number there. No one ever tells us what it is. Uh -huh. But that was called your ring. You had to find a call box uh -huh. and call into the precinct TS and let them know you're alive. Whatever your ring was, say your number was 12, that means 12 minutes after every hour that you would call in and make a ring. That's your ring to let them know, this is Patrolman Friedman, I'm still alive. Okay. Right. Yeah, Otherwise, they don't know. They don't know. Yeah. You know. The sergeant would drive around and give you a scratch, but, you know, that could be you know, they hours, were Ralph, hours. they were still using that antiquated system on midnights when I was on the job. But, yeah, but they really didn't need to because they didn't want to admit there's, there's cell phones and there's radios. <laughs> you really don't need to ring the desk. Well, transit anymore. was notorious. They, you know, they had radios that never worked underground. Right. They're still trying to improve them. Yeah, that's a tough spot, though, on the ground there. I'm sure that... But just working up top without the radio. Forget about the train. Well, once impossible. I got out of a car on a... Um, we were going to a riot, and there was four of us in the car. And we got out of the car, 
And right after we got out of the car, it came over, which we didn't know. It said, no plain clothes, no anti-crime in the area. So I get out of the car, and I'm in the riot, and all of a sudden the TPF cop shoots at me six times. <laughs> oh, my God. I outran it. You know, luckily, we all split up. But the TPF was a tactical police. Yeah, tactical patrol force. It was a great unit of really uh, big guys, right? Well, you had to be over six foot. You had to be in great shape. I did they that. Send, I did that, but it was called a task force. And it yeah, was that a, was a little different. That was the task little, force. I think operated more in the daytime. It was kinder no, did, and gentler. Six the task force. Oh, was, oh no, <laughs> there was. It was SES Special Event Squad. Yeah. was the daytime guys. TPF was at night. They That's when we, when we talked about changing the names, right? It used to be TPF. Well, and they did they away with them in 1984. Because of some brutal stuff. Like yeah. a lot they of would put them on the corner, and crime would stop within like three minutes. But they put 20 guys on a corner. And it was always hats and bats. Yeah. You know, I mean, they took no shit. You probably they can't even down. use that term anymore, hats well, and bats. Well, they changed it. Uh. They changed it to task force. And I did that for five, seven years. But, um, you know, they changed the name of it, and they softened it up a little bit. Like, we used to practice drills and how to... You know, it wasn't so much of wacky. Well, then now they changed the name. There's no more task force either. Now it's a um, strategic response. That's right. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 They were, but and they really, uh, they shaped them up. You know, they had to work out and stuff. Those guys. uh, I have a couple of very good friends that stayed on with them, but they really got into shape and stuff, and they they take it serious and they do more training in high-powered rifles, shooting condition. You know, active shooter condition. That's good. Oh, it's great. Because it spreads they, they ESU out. They took it out. to another level. Yeah. And um, if they were, there weren't too many slackers in there anyway, but if there was, they got weeded out. They really took it up a notch. Yo, this guy that shot at you, this TPF guy. Oh, I, I never I, saw him again. Or but <laughs> I ran into a building. and wound How many up times did he shoot at you? Six times. He probably emptied his gun on me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You must I'm, have did some good uh, oh, scattered man. running like a yeah. rabbit. <laughs> I got into a building and wound up. I got up to the roof where, you know, a lot of roofs were connected. And I wound up hooking up with my partner. But we wound up recovering 75 bombs that day. Wow. They were lined up on the roof, Molotov cocktails, oh. that they were going to toss at the police. Because they would go into the light, the lampposts, they, they, they would break the box on the bottom and cut the lights. So you're in pitch black, you know. Uh-huh. It was really uh, hard to believe some of the was stuff this that the, went on. the gangs were doing this? Well, actually, no. This was The gangs got involved just as for fun, but it was the gypsy cabs at the time. They were unregulated, and we were cracking down on them. This is really pre pre Uber. <laughs> you know what's funny? <laughs> Think about what he this just said. In the middle, phone, yeah. listen to this. Before radio, listen to this. In the middle of all this crime, robberies, assaults, <laughs> rapes, all this shit, you still got to do the minutia of worrying about the liber- like giving summonses to the the. the well, they weren't. You know, the liberty cabs were really bad at that time. They were just starting out. Most of them were criminals trying to. Take over the yellow cab business. Uh-huh. And these guys were paying Because the a cabs lot. wouldn't come uptown. Well, yeah, but the ones who did, you know, they were cabs uptown, but they were pushing them out, you know, and they were bad guys. They were raping uh, passengers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had some rape cases after that that uh, were gypsy cab drivers. They also all carried guns. So now those guys are Uber drivers. Pretty much. No, <laughs> no lift. lift. Well, Uber, Uber has a lot of guys that got charged with rape. A lot of drivers getting charged well, back, with rape. No, but, but back then, 
They were all criminals, pretty much. That led to bad. that led to street crime and the taxi. And they're probably doing probably, drug right? deliveries. There too. was a taxi unit. They, yeah. they really were only uh, the taxi unit was really regulating. Uh, it was called the Hack Bureau. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they were regulating yellows. Gypsies moved in on their own. There was no regulate, no nothing. You would just say, "I'm a gypsy." Right. I'm a gypsy. They put a sticker in the window. We'll pick you up. Stop. Or they would just pull up to bus stops if they saw you waiting. Yeah, then they had the dollar vans. I remember those. That that's, was a big thing. When I was in the task force, we used to have to follow the dollar vans around and lock those guys up. And um, That's a big pain in the ass. But in the middle of all that, man, the 4-1. Um, so uh, where did you do your detective work? <coughs> well, when I got promoted to detective, I actually got sent to the 3-4, which was a very busy house, but I didn't want to be in Manhattan. How come? Well, because I had the whole Bronx system down. I grew up in the Bronx. I was raised in the Bronx, went to school in the Bronx, <clears throat> and I was a cop in the Bronx. So I knew the whole system. I knew the DAs, and I had a system worked out. You had a system worked out where you can get through court a little quicker because— Right, and even on the days that I had court cases, my bosses let me do this and the DAs let me do it. I would stay home, and they would call me. So I didn't have to do a day shift. I might start at like 12 noon if it was an afternoon case. And they let me report right to court. Because if you were an active cop back then, making a lot of arrests, which you were, you have to spend a lot of time in court, right? A lot of time. But, you know, you had a lot of arrest time, but not as, not as many cases went to trial. Because like I said, I was doing anti-crime and me and my partner were the witnesses. So there was a lot of plea deals and you didn't have to go to trial. Mm -hmm. You know, but when you had to go to trial, you tried to, you didn't want to sit there a whole day. So if the case is not called in the morning, that means it's not even going to get called at 2 o'clock. So I was lucky enough that they let me operate the way I wanted. And, like, I didn't know the streets of the 3-4, and you'd have to travel a whole long borough to get to the court system down there. Oh, you got to go from um, so all the way up in Washington Heights, Heights down to Center Street over exactly. there. Exactly. Yep. That's a big pain in the ass. Tremendous. And the traffic in Manhattan was always horrible. And the parking. Yeah, there is no so, parking. <laughs> you know, so... A couple of years ago, they were hammering cops, not just for taking their uh, for taking the department car down there. Well, with a, big, a perp in the car. There's big things happening just in the last two days. They're coming out with... Uh, oh, with giving, the placards. Permits, They're yeah. doing away with placards. Yeah. Uh -huh. They're going to have, uh, just like New York has a registration in the window, there's going to be a barcode. In your window, like they do for the New York State registration. So if a New York, you're a That's New York City cop, your, your registration is going to have a barcode on it? No. You're going to have a separate barcode from your registration. There'll be two stickers in your window. It's like a sticker. A, uh, sticker it's a parking a permit. But so they you can also, walk by and identify a cop's car? Yeah, pretty much. Well, the, well, you the can do that anyway with can. the placard. But you, can't, right. you can never get rid of it if you didn't want to put your but placard. But the thing is, if you got this sticker and you're going to go to work and... Um, your car ain't working or it's in the shop. Uh -huh. You take your wife's car, you got no parking. You know, right, right. How you get to work? Well, you got a second car. And not just that, they what only they want you to now, park around where you work, too. Well, this is, a, this is what de Blasio says, which is total bullshit, that he's going to buy up more land for police and make them private lots next to the precinct. Yeah, okay. Now, we know, yeah. we know what that means. But it doesn't what make happened any sense. Is, just the they're going to give plaques. They give plaques now. But the new rule is... And if you get three summonses on your plaque, because, you know, there's regulations on the plaquettes also. Yeah, I know that. But what happens is if you're going to get three summonses. The different levels of plaquettes. Right. But you're going to get three strikes. 
Mm-hmm. If you get that third strike, you lose parking for life. For life. Is what he's saying. You'll never get parking. It, it's crazy stuff. Well, what about when you jump these, out of your They car? shouldn't be giving these placards to politicians either. I well, see politicians have I am officially on police business placard. Well, what we do all they know doing? what that you goes know? on. Yeah, exactly. Know? But one of the big things, he gave out 30, 38,000 plaques to the UFT, United Federation of T- Teachers. Mm-hmm. Their last contract, so he picked up their voting block. He gave them all plaques. Yeah. And they usually have schoolyards or, you know, they get leeway around the school. But now they yeah. got plaques. And there's like too many plaques in the city. It's Well, take them away from cops. Yeah, so, they, <laughs> so they give the three-strike rule to yeah. cops. Unbelievable. Yeah, right? having a car in the city is considered... Um, uh, a luxury, you know, so that they're going to tax you on that heavily. It, they're talking often, about doing uh, congestion prices. Yeah, it's going right. to happen. But getting Just back to the ori- original question was, I went to the three four, and I had to do anything I could to get out of there. I had to get back to the Bronx. So what happened was, I did two. Wait, you didn't like the food in the three four. You didn't like the women I wasn't in the three there four. Long well, how long did you give yourself? Well, I was there two days. Barena, two days. Colombiano. Loved it. Well, we had that in the Bronx too, but. <laughs> I felt more comfortable there. Uh-huh. But the thing is, I knew the streets. I, I knew that it. my yeah, CIs were there. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a big pain in the ass. You know, all the cops knew me. I knew the DAs. It was, I had my system. It was streamlined, so I could operate at a higher speed. Yeah, no, no, good. And more volume. So what happened was, I spent two days in the 3-4, and I went into CIC school, criminal investigation course, yeah, yeah. that are required for the I used to teach state. that. I used to teach that, too. And I went into there, and I had a, a boss that told me he can make it happen, if I got a mutual, because the numbers were solid for each borough. Okay. Had to have a certain amount of detectives in each borough. He says, if you get a mutual, I'll get you there in one second. So I went out on my own time every day after the, the CIC school. I went to every precinct and put up a, you know, a notice. Anyone want to do a mutual? And I would go every day because, you know, you know how... Things get torn I mean, down. Think about it. Who, who in the 4 1 doesn't want to get out Manhattan. of there and go to the 3 4? <laughs> no, I went. To, well, what happened was I was assigned to the 3 4. Uh-huh. I had to find anybody in the Bronx. Yeah. It was a guy from the 5 2 picked it up. Oh. So I went to the 5 2 squad. Yeah. Okay. Which I knew that area, but I knew the whole Bronx. So uh, we made, the guy got us a mutual while I was in school. So I got out of school, went back to the Bronx. Oh, great, great. So what, what, is the, what does the 5 2 cover? Well, it's a northern Bronx. It's like um, Woodlawn, Kingsbridge, okay, Jerome, Webster. I live in the Bronx right now. I'm in the four five. I lived in the four five for the last uh, for thirty years. I lived in the four five. Oh, you now I moved out of state. Oh, okay. But I was in Throg's Neck right at the end by the Marina del Rey. Yeah, I'm right over the uh, the bridge. So when there were police rackets, you just walk to yeah. you just walk to the club. It's called. <laughs> oh, you're in Country Club. Yeah. So you got in the 5-2. Was that a busy house? Not at the time, but I've, it was pretty much like He made I, it busy, though. I got, got it busy. <laughs> there were a lot of things that went on that, you know, I, I got involved in. And the boss up there, uh, he got to know me. It took a little while, but then he gave me free reign. Okay. I'll put it this way. I was a guy in the squad for almost 10 years. I never wore a suit and tie or a sport jacket. You know, might have been once or twice in 10 years. Because you were out there. Uh, he let me. I came in to work an hour early. Picked up my cases that were assigned to me, and I did all my DD5s and stuff an hour before. Then I would go out and tell them I'm investigating the case, but I would be pick up. Now I want to go play. I did all my paper. Now I want to play. I do pick up collars. Pick up pick up collars in the squad. Do you hear what he just said? I did that every day. He's doing pick up Uh, every day. I was in the squad for five years. (laughs) Well, when I first got up there, there were 19 guys in the squad, Uh 
And, you know, they did their work. I'm not knocking them or nothing, but they uh-huh. made 38 collars for the year. The whole car. Well, you had to make two a month. Well, they made 38 for the year. Okay. I walked in and made 160 on my own. Oh, my God. <laughs> so they realized I wasn't trying to make them look bad or nothing. Uh-huh. They just realized that was my thing. Yeah, you yeah. know. And I came into work early, did my detective work. You know, you were required to do uh, pick up your cases and do your DD-5s. But I would plan them where I could be out in the street, say, going to a witness. Ralph, or a let me ask you something. You ever have a boss that doesn't want someone to be active and he takes an attitude toward you like, hey, calm down here. Take a day no, off. No, Take a night know, off. They were very good to me. I got to say, my bosses, you know... Actually, some of my boys, when I had big cases, they wanted to go out with me. Yeah. And when they wanted to get, uh, you know, be active at certain times. Well, yeah, but you've heard the expression, success has many friends, and failure well, is very I, lonely. You've heard that you know, one, You me right? and my partners made the squad look good, right. you know. We were bringing in the numbers, and even the precinct CO was very happy about it. And it brought up the clearance rate because I would, if I pick up a street robbery, you know, I have a complainant. I have a case. Well, it could be part I, of a pattern. Then I close it out. We got clearance because I'm closing it with a collar. And it's closed in a positive manner. But it also led to help when a homicide would come in. I got all these people on the street that I could talk to. If you're doing active work on the street. And, you know, I always followed everything up. So uniforms would come to me with information. One of my biggest cases in my career was made by a tip from a uniform that took a 61 that never should have went to the squad, except they said something. What was it? Well, this guy came into New York and slapped his ex-wife around. He just slapped her around. You know, it was really a harassment. Mm-hmm. But as the two cops are walking out the door, she says, oh, by the way, my husband's wanted by the FBI. Wow. So they didn't know if it was true or not, because, you know, people say stuff to make you act more on the case. Yeah. You know, she wanted him in jail for just slapping her. But if you say the FBI or, you know, police are looking for him too, they figure you'll be more active to get him. So the cops came in, and they came right to me, the two uniforms that were making a uh, 61 for harassment. So they said to me, uh, hey, Ralph, this woman said the husband's wanted by the FBI. You want to check it out? I said, of course. So I get on the phone while they're there, and I make a few calls, and I find out this guy broke out of two federal prisons, wanted for bank robbery, he owed the system 36 years, and he was still wanted. And that the FBI had him classified as uh, uh, extremely dangerous, vowed never to be taken alive, and they were after him for 18 months and can't get him. Holy shit. So I took the case, and I, had it, I told him to refer to the squad, and I'll catch it, me and my partner. And my partner was Roger Cortez at the time. And uh, I brought it into the, the, uh, the squad boss, and uh, he just looked at me. I told him what I had. And he says, could we get him? I said, if you take me off the chart, I'll get him. Which means in detective talk that you're not going to be catching the influx of cases that a normal detective in a squad would be ca- let catching. Let me work on this. Which is like 10, 12, 12 cases You're a, asking the boss, day. listen, let me work on this Exclusively. solely until I get him. Right. That's how the FBI works on it. Okay. They got unlimited resources. They get a case. And that's it. But New York City detectives are getting flooded with cases all the time. But a homicide, you get how many, what do you get, a set to work on the homicide? At least, yeah, you get at least a set. Catch a homicide, you got two sets maybe. 
and then you're back in the back, back in, in the, the mix. Tr- like catching the cases. When I was yeah. on, that didn't happen. We could a homicide. That's yours from beginning to end. No, you still no, have you the homicide. The case, but you start catching you start cases. Catching case again. About uh, a week or two after you catch it. So yeah, so you got two sets to to do all the work on your homicide, and then you can you could st- obviously you're still going to work on it until. Well, like it's I soft, said, but... my career ended in '84. Uh-huh. You know, things had changed. You know, but, but yeah, I know I even heard of detectives handing it off so they wouldn't be overtime. Oh, yeah, yeah, that happens all the time. That's up to the boss. The only time that happened is on night watch. Mm -hmm. If the night detectives that are covering the borough between 1 and 8 in the morning, they would do the initial six uh, (laughs) And then you hand it off to the precinct where the homicide occurred. But when we catch a homicide, we stay on it. You don't go to sleep for two days. No, yeah, yeah, no, you catch it. And then you still... Keep the case. Yeah, you keep you know? the case, but at some point they're gonna put you, you're gonna start catching other Go back cases. Well, that's when it goes one. really cold. That would yeah. be, you know, pretty much like at least a few weeks or a month at least. Yeah. Well, you know, when we I work left, on when I left the squad, it was like I think you had two sets. Unless there was something really hot and heavy, then it would still. Uh, but well, anyway, and Ralph, what there's there's a like the homicide squad that just well, does, they, they'll they'll work on it while well, you're. There were we had a homicide squad, but they came and went. You know, there was like. Um, Sometimes there was a borough homicide, and sometimes there wasn't. And when it, sometimes when it went to the detective squad, there wasn't a homicide, homicide squad active. Right. You know, they just they didn't have it. Sometimes they did, sometimes. Just like the precinct squad, they kept changing our names. We were the squad. We were the precinct detective unit, PDU. Right. You know, they, they, sometimes you fell under uniform bosses. Sometimes you fell under detective bosses. You, know, you bounced changing. around. You went with the flow. I did my own thing all the time. You know, but, my thing was collars. So, but uh, the thing that got us here was the fact that you were working in the squad and you were pretty much, but you were you on your own when you were doing this? Or you said you had other guys that were also doing this too? It's almost like you're working in the RIP. I was just going to say that. I was Which very is at, robbery. Uh, robbery investigation program. That That's what I actually went into as a detective. My did part, you create that? I, no, I didn't create it. It was a, a guy named Paul O'Connor. And uh, he invented that. But what happened was, this was even like a little before that, and we made it a robbery unit. What the boss did was have me, robberies couldn't go to anti-crime. They would go to, after they occurred and there was no arrest, they go to the squad. Yeah. So the boss had me catching every robbery. And I would be parting it up after a while with guys from anti-crime. So they were like on their way to getting a gold shield. It was like doing white shield work. You know, they yeah. were doing detective work. The case was carried under my name. But we all, we, I worked with anti-crime guys, and we handled just the robberies. It was robberies, and we did all the pickup guns. And then I still wanted more collars. I, <laughs> I had the boss assign to me all the warrants in the precinct. The warrants, too. I did all the you warrants, You were one too. man. <laughs> Not a one man. I had partners. So let me ask you how many hours... Overtime where you work in a year. You well, know? I did, did a lot did of... Did you get paid for overtime back then? Yes, we got paid. And when I was a cop, it was unlimited. When I made detective, there was a cap, which was called... You had a cap of 100. Then they raised it to 125 hours... A month? Per month. <laughs> they you cut know? it down to 40. It's not much time for sleep during all of that, right? But, the, but it didn't count audit overtime. Like if you were ordered to go to a parade on your day off or if you were ordered to stay on a homicide, or if it was a rape pattern, something out of the ordinary, you could be ordered to. My boss, you got to understand, my boss, I made my bosses look good, and one hand washes the other. 
like that in any job. So you didn't go to too many details? Unless I wanted to. Uh-huh. Because every time I went to a detail, I made a collar. You liked the car and show. How about you vacation? To to the car did, you show. Take, <laughs> did you take vacation time? Uh, I worked on my vacation time. But I took vacation time, too. But you had a lot. You but know, I, from the I, book I read, you, you, had, you, dated, to, you dated. You had a lot of girlfriends. Yeah, I was kept busy with you know, that. But too. that's what you did on your RDO, your regular day off. You probably I did it while I was working, too. Okay. <laughs> you go we on a couple a, days. You know, we had a overlap hours here. Uh-huh. Because I was always on the clock. But uh, I had, like, tons of time to take off. But they let me work my vacation. You were, if you were a detective, uh-huh. you were allowed to work your vacation in uniform. And I got a kick out of that, too. Let me ask you a question. You're, I you made a lot working. Of, you made a lot of off-duty collars. And to me, it's fascinating because, you know, it, you, you just never stopped, right? Never if you, stopped. So you're out on a date with a girl. If I saw Like in the crime, book, you're out, you're out with your brother. And you're, you're double I, dating. A lot of times, it was with different girls. It was with my brother. It was with friends. And you just I, happened to look to your right, and yeah, you see this were, doesn't look right. They, they had. A, I, I don't think I ever made a, maybe one or a couple of misdemeanors off duty. No, this Most is serious. Most of them were felony. Yeah, yeah. You I were, mean, I had ho- double homicides off duty. <laughs> tell you us know? about how, how does that. Well, that was I was with a girl then too. Whatever. Tell that us. Was, it wasn't supposed to be the girl I was with. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what happened was, that, yeah, yeah. In those days, when you came into guns and drugs. You know, you're allowed to, it, it was common practice to take them home. You know, I mean, all this sounds ridiculous, but I had a lot of guns in my house, well, because heroin. What did coke. you have to do if you didn't bring it you home? Had, well, you vouched it, but you didn't have nowhere to leave it. And you had to go down, so you down. Took it, Right, so I had to take it home, and they let you take it down on your day off or whenever you were working, if you wanted to squeeze it. But you had to vouch it evidence in your house. Sounds crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. But this is how it, it's how it went on. But who else should have it other than the arresting officer anyway? I mean... But at that time, they didn't want the, the chain of command. Now they allowed a chain of command. Chain of custody, you mean? Chain of custody. Chain of custody, yeah, chain. Chain of custody I meant, sorry. But, but now that you drop it in a drop safe behind the desk, that's what last I did. I mean, that was at the end. Yeah, there's but, a narcotic safe now. Yeah, and yeah. a gun safe yeah, and, gun and safe, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, they had gun pickups. Ralph, could you bring that kilo in that you brought home yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> no, but when you had your day off. So anyway, I had a day off, and I was with this girl that I was seeing, but it wasn't my regular girlfriend. So anyway, I go downtown to take it to ballistics, right? So I take the gun down here, and it was a pretty girl. You know, we were all young back then. Oh, so you're both together right now? Yeah, I took the girl with me. Okay, yeah. I said, you know... You're taking it down to drop off the gun? Well, I'm going to have a test. It was, it was bring a girlfriend to work day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I bring her down here, and, the, you know, the detectives that were working in ballistics liked her, you know. And, you know, they, they started showing off. Because they her. didn't bring a girl to work they that didn't day. Have a girl to work <laughs> they didn't hear about that day. <laughs> they didn't hear that. They didn't even get the memo. <laughs> so uh, they started firing, like, guns from Al Capone's time, oh, machine shit. guns and stuff. They started firing them into, they used to fire them into a tremendous water tank. And that would stop the bullet, believe it or not. Yeah. And then they have the markings, and they do all the stuff they got to do. Cool stuff. Yeah. So, you know, we had a good time down here. Everyone They're buffing up. out with the girl. Right. <laughs> Trying so, to impress his girlfriend yeah, yeah. on bring the, the girlfriend <laughs> to, to work yeah, day. Yeah. So we're driving back from there. Uh-huh. Now we had a nice day out there and stuff. And it's a, it's a pouring rain. And the East River Drive got flooded, right? Oh, so I had to get off the East River Drive. And I'm driving north on First Avenue. And I get up to about, it was, I mean, it was teeming rain. 
You could hardly see. You're in a car? And you, I'm on in your my motorcycle. own personal car. Oh, I thought you had it on the, on the Harley. No, I brought my Harley to work for jobs. But uh, <laughs> that was authorized too. <laughs> but uh, I got the girl in the car, and all of a sudden I started hearing shots fired. And a second later, because these things happen in a couple of seconds, there's two bodies falling on my, the hood of my car while I'm stopped at a light at 105th Street and 1st Avenue. And El Barrio to the two, three. Two bodies. El, no, I said El Barrio to the two, <laughs> three. Well, actually, it's two bodies, and one guy's got a gun in his hand shooting, and the other guy's got a knife, and he's stabbing the other guy. Like a movie, man. So I jump out I mean, of my car. I hate when like that shit movie. happens at a light. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it never happened to me <laughs> once. This guy's shooting another guy stabbing it. I hate that shit. <laughs> Blood. I'm waxing my car. It's New York in the 70s. <laughs> Early, late 70s. This was common. So I jump out. I disarm the guy with a gun and the knife. One falls on the floor dead. You couldn't pay these guys to do this, Phil, perfectly, <laughs> if you're with a girl. <laughs> so the guy falls on the floor. He's dead. The other guy's dying. So we go to the hospital. We go to Metropolitan Hospitals right there. And she's still with you. She's still with me, but she ain't my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, that's the part. So I had to call she's my brother. She's assisting on this collar. Now I got the press is responding, bosses are responding, cops are responding, and I, I had to call my brother to get this girl out of here before the press puts her in the paper. Right. So my brother races down here, and he gets the girl, and he takes gets her out. Of so seat. your brother gets laid on your dime, probably. <laughs> <laughs> So she I'm was assisting with- you in the collar and went back to the station <laughs> after start up the paperwork. This is yeah. what happened to me on Bring a Girlfriend to Work Day. <laughs> yeah. You so just mentioned something about that was one to the of the off duty collars. Two I, collars. In in the book, um, you mentioned about talking to the press, which doesn't really happen that much. You were involved in the shooting, your partner got shot, and then you were in the hospital and the mayor came down. Yeah. He landed and- his helicopter on Pelham Parkway to talk to me before I went on a press uh, you know, on a press thing. I mean, when was the last time that you saw a cop? First of all, you couldn't they would do, never that let you do that nowadays because no, yeah. there's like a 48-hour rule or something that you can't talk anymore, yeah. right? Well, you Which know, like I said, this is 50 years ago, 40 to 50 years ago. So 20. here you are, a cop, man, at the time, and you're going to do a press conference. Yeah. I did one right out of uh, um, Jacoby Hospital. And all, but the mayor wanted to speak to me first. And he was, it was Mayor Lindsay, and he was really nice, and he really seemed concerned about my partner. Wow, I can't. It's amazing. It's amazing. Ralph time. Friedman is calling a press conference. Everyone go to the rear room. <laughs> well, it was very high profile. A police officer getting my partner was shot. Calunga was shot like seven times. Two of them were ricochet bullets. In a darkened apartment. Yeah. He took it and we, the whole shootout, we exchanged 18 rounds at three feet away and closer. And you couldn't see two feet in front of you. It was all smoke and blood. Ralph, and the funny back, thing is... Back then, Ralph, how many rounds did you carry with you? You carried two guns. I carried two guns was 12 rounds. Yeah. And I always... I, I wore, like, uh, six to 12 bullets on my belt. So you were like one of those Spanish guys with the, nah. with the guns, with yeah. the bullets across your chest? But your belt like actually had the, the little loops to put the <laughs> bullets, exactly. the rounds in, right? Yeah, I think, <laughs> if I, I think I still have it in my car outside. I keep bullets in the car, a couple of bullets. You strapped right now, Ralph? Of course. Oh, shit. Of course. Protected in case some off-duty collar comes Mine's in here. Been, one's have been hustling. No. You know what? You say that, and if it's going to ever happen to, it's going to happen when Ralph is there. I did 20 years of the you, job. I made I a never, few I never, nobody ever landed on my car. <laughs> Maybe I had a homeless guy trying to wash my window, but no. no, no I never had a, a stabbed guy or a shot I've even guy made a few arrests over the years when I was retired. 
but it didn't require me using my weapon or anything. But I held people for the police. Uh-huh. I grabbed the guy out of stabbing. Um, I had a robbery once, you know, a, a person on the street, even while I'm retired. Tell us about the one with the stabbing. What are you doing? Well, I was in Manhattan. I was uh, visiting some friends that were bouncing at a bar, and I saw a guy getting stabbed right across the street. I ran over and grabbed the guy and disarmed him and held him for the police. What do you, what do you that ca- was back in the 80s. But Ralph, what do, you ca- what do you carry these days? A 38 Detective Special, six shots. Same wow. one I carried. Wow. I, guess it's I never went to automatic. It's a good luck gun, I guess, right? Yeah, it did the job. I wound up shooting eight years. guys over the course of my career, killing four of them. Oh, and you got the tattoo? Yeah, on my, on my hand it says justified four times. That signifies the four times I had to go to the grand jury. When you go like, explain Ralph, my actions. when you go out to a bar, say in Florida or something, I don't and your drink. Hand... I really don't go to oh, bars. Okay, so but I was you just know. gonna say if your hand hits the bar and someone says, "What the hell is that?" Well, people ask me. They ask they you. Ask. And what are you... They do say ask. I tell them, it's uh, I had to kill people in the line of duty, perpetrators, and I had to justify my actions before a grand jury, and it goes on your record as a justifiable homicide. So they're justified. Do they look at you? Every officer has to explain themselves. When you use your weapon, if it results in a death or an injury or nothing. Let me ask some, Ralph. Do you think you have any PTSD from those? No, no, no. So you're cool with all of this shit. I I felt I was doing my job, and I I felt... No, but I mean, you've been involved in a lot of violence in your life. I accepted it as part of the job, and I was able to handle it. And I felt it was... uh, I felt good, actually, about it because I saved someone else's life, my partner's, and my own. So I, I didn't feel that... Uh, I wasn't shell-shocked or nothing. And it's part of the job. you got to accept it. I know it does affect some people, but most officers could handle it, you know? There's a lot who can. There's a lot who can. I think I there's think- more officers that could because yeah. you do hold back. You know, I never go out there with the intention of shooting someone. And with the, even though... I shot a lot of people and had to kill a few. It's a small percentage of the amount of work that I've done. Right. It's very small, but it's more than most officers. But a have guy to do. like you could not exist today because they would take you off the road. They'd take you off. The it's road. a different they time t- though, too. When I'm watching yeah. the if movie, if you get three civilian complaints, they pull you in. I got off the job with 205 complaints. Oh shit! Yeah, but I have them. I have like. Out of the 205, I have about 150 of them at home that I was able to get the copies of, and they're all stamped in red, unsubstantiated, you know. But that's part of doing business, you know what I mean? Just yeah, like going CCRB to court, came out CCRB. When I was uh, but it's even worse today. Today's officers have it really tough, I think, because not only the whole video have, stuff is everything. So many guns in the street, though, when you were on. There's patrol. a lot of oversight that's unnecessary. It's a big difference now with the amount of guns that were. And on they the don't get the backing back of the public or politicians. They I mean, have a now tough you job. hear about a gun on the street or somebody getting called for a gun. It's a big deal. Back then, it seemed like back everybody then, had a gun. You had when I went out on patrol, I picked what kind of collar I wanted that day. Was I going to make a robbery or a gun? There was just so much to choose from. You know, I, I was watching the, um, <clears throat> there's a video on YouTube, and it's called uh, Saturday Night in Fort Apache. And you, you, um, I'm you, in you that created a lot. Them. I didn't create it, but I, they drove in my car to film that. The whole thing was filmed of my unit. I'm in it a lot. You'd have to know what I look like to see me if I pointed it out, but I'm in it a lot. And it was all filmed from my car. It was a 55 Merc I had at the time. Bill, you got to see this. Um, the way they doing, they're doing like. First of all, they didn't have a color of the day. 
these guys that are doing um, the anti-crime from the precinct that are putting guys uh, perps up against the wall, suspects up against the wall, um, they don't look that much different than the actual suspects. That's and then the they have their, it, they have their guns out while they're doing the pat down. And you know the the gun is like by the yeah, side. Well, it's yeah. actually on the person's body. Yeah, um, that's against the wall. And you have one officer has about is in charge of maybe two or three guys. That's At on least, the wall, yeah. and then there's another officer. He's got another three guys, and you know the the officer. He's pushing one guy. He said, "Stay off, the, stay on the wall with his with his free hand," and then he's going to that the was other Sergeant guy. Sergeant Bill Taylor. In yeah, the he's show. pushing the other guys yeah. with the with the gun in the other hand. Is that the chief Taylor? Did no. he become chief no, he Taylor? No. Sergeant. He came oh, okay. from Queens, and he was a v- super active uh, uh, sergeant and cop. Yeah, it was just a different time. The way they talked to people back then, it was authoritative. It was complete control. But you, had, you were also dealing. In the precincts that were profiled in these kind of days were very busy houses. These were what they call A precincts or shit houses or ghetto houses. And you were dealing with the kind of people that if you gave them an inch, they would take a foot. If you didn't act like that, you would get hurt, shot, or killed. You had to come on strong. The job wanted you to be masculine. Bosses, politicians, they sent you out to get bad guys. You know, it's not today. It's different. That's why a gun. That was an active, proactive police department back then. Right. Today it's reactive. Back then it was proactive. They 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 wanted you to go out, turn out, and make collars. Right. They didn't want you to spend time, you know, writing summonses. It was a tool of the trade, writing summonses, and sometimes you had to, but you were sent out to get bad guys. They wanted bad guys to protect the public. That was your job as a police officer. Oh, Ralph, Not when they started... dancing in call in right, right. Bill stuff. mentioned that last week. Yeah, it's, it's dancing or singing songs on the street. It's ridiculous. It's but, Ralph, sad. after your career, in the 80s, probably the middle 80s, when they first started RIP units, the criteria to get a RIP unit, this was like, I guess, 1984, 1985, was the precinct had to have 100 robberies or more per month. I mean, there's well, not that a precinct. Was very easy in the South Right, Park. right. No, but there's not a precinct in the city now that gets 100 robberies a month. But back then, there was lots of precincts that got 100 a month. Yeah, so you're right. talking it was a wild 1,200 to 1,500, 2,000 robberies a year for one precinct. No. Oh, yeah. More, one precinct. Probably more. Oh, the Bronx, 4 1 probably had two, 3,000 robberies a year, it, easily. They were, it was all day long. Right, people I, I can't understand what, can what, that, what yeah. that is. They just have no. Cr- but they hamstrung the police now. Maybe because crime has dropped. Well, that's why the Bronx itself. I mean, I know there's a bad in each borough. You know, like your Bed-Stuy and you got Harlem and stuff. But when you talk about the Bronx, Bronx is known throughout the whole world. Right. You know, people in other countries hear the Bronx. You know, it has a connotation. Well, so even it, now. They that- don't want to go there. They want to hear about it. Right. They want to be close by going to Manhattan as a tourist. But they don't want to go in the Bronx. But- you go in the Bronx, you were getting mugged, shot, or assaulted. Look at now, look at even now, that all these other boroughs are developing. Obviously, Manhattan, the price of real estate got so high that, um, you know, the younger people started buying um, Astoria, all these different neighborhoods in Queens. Then they spread. Yeah, then in Harlem. And then they spread their way to Brooklyn. Brooklyn is very, very expensive right now. And then you also have, you know, even Washington Heights is up there. The one borough that still lags behind all that real estate development is, is like it's the, Bronx. the Bronx. It's never changed. It has, it is, it is, believe it's me, getting it's better. Changed. It's getting it's better. Got, 
It's very it's artsy right bad. now. All the arts art people supposedly that yeah. lived in Brooklyn that got uh, you know had to move out because uh, the high pricing. A lot of them supposedly. I read an article, a real estate article. They're all settling in the Bronx now, so it's very artsy. You got a lot of art going on in certain parts of the Bronx. But if you see what it looked like back in the seventies, it was it was just unbelievable. Buildings burnt down. They stole the copper. They That's flooded. Right. <laughs> Buildings looked like they were hit by bombs. And if you want to really see this, I have actual footage in my TV series Street Justice: The Bronx. That's available now on Amazon. But if you see that footage, it, it, then you'll believe. You'd have to see it to believe it. It was like a war zone. It's you know, it was like a, it was a, not like it was. It was a war it was, zone. Uh, it was a war zone. You know, like, you watch a lot of early rap videos. Um, you could see rap some wasn't of, invented yet. No, but this I'm just saying even before that. Even, even but in the rap came around like 79, 80, 81. You could yeah, see. But I was there in 1970. This okay. was from the 60s. But you could still see it when I came on in 70. Yeah. 1970. I was still grabbing guys with zip guns. Wow. Guns made out of a one shot gun out of a, an antenna. Just at the tail end of that, because that was yeah. like 50s and 60s. Yeah. But I came across a few of them. You got to be a, a pretty down in your look. <laughs> Stick up kids have a zip gun in 1970. <laughs> like, really? You know? Slingshots. <laughs> Just get out. <laughs> Heroin was so big and nodding out on the street. You got to realize, I came there before cell phones, before beepers, before computers, before... Police radios. radios. Before anything. It's... 9-11, was even new. That only came out in 68. So coming on and saying it was still, you know. A lot of police new. reports or, or people. Everything was written by hand. to the precinct too, too, right? Communications was in each borough. You had to dial seven numbers or ten numbers to get to. A, in the Bronx, it was in a garage in the back of the 4-6 precinct was the communication center for the whole borough. So, Ralph, that was the, the old story when you needed help. You sometimes had to depend on whether the community liked you or not, whether they would call 911 for you, right, well, to well, get you back up. There were call boxes and pay yeah. phones on the streets. Right. You had to have change in your pocket. But sometimes community members would, you know. would come to your assistance, I bet. Right? Oh, yeah, some people would. Yeah. But like I say, back then they wanted bad guys off the street. Right. Now, in this day and age, it seems like it's like catered to the perp years. You know, people come to the yeah. defense of perps. They're against cops. Politicians are against cops. Yeah, it's amazing. Mayors against cops. The governor. It's look at the governor. They're, all, they're releasing cop killers every week. Mass murderers. They didn't even let anyone know when the Palm Sunday massacre guy got out. Three months later, the press had it. Wow. This guy killed eleven people. Eight of them were kids, infants to seven. Yeah, I remember year old. that case. They they let seven five. It was right. Yeah. 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 Uh, they let everyone, cop killers getting out of jail every month. Is I it? think they were rehabilitated. That's what yeah, it is. They should have got life without parole or killed on apprehension. Yeah. Well, this was an exciting episode, wasn't it? I swear to God, man, I, I'm so, in, this is amazing to me. I can't wait for the, the next segment We're going to come back. We're going to we come got, back we got we're going to do a got, part two. We got Babe Ruth here. Right? We're going to take a break right now. Um, we're going to refresh our, our cups of tea. And come back for part two with Ralph Friedman. Looking forward to it. Uh, 